Amen. Well, it's lovely to be back with you all. And it's really lovely not to have to preach in French. So if I drop into French by mistake, no doubt there's somebody here who can get up and translate for me. I certainly hope so. And a big thank you to Fee for the reading. My Canadian mother-in-law tells me, or used to tell us, how she remembered in the Baptist church in Canada where she grew up, somebody was reading the Psalms once, and they read, How am I a bull of thy tabernacles? So this is actually the Feast of Tabernacles rather than Tabernacles. So why are we having this sermon? Do I want you all to become Jewish? Well, that might be a bit difficult for some of you fellas, so probably not. Is it just an RE lesson? No, not that either. The reason we're doing it, and Martin asked me to do it, is because Jesus the Jew celebrated the autumn festivals. He used those traditions as an audiovisual aid to demonstrate to the disciples how he was the Messiah so that whenever they celebrated these festivals, they would remember and they would make that association. How can we follow the teachings of a Jewish Messiah if we always take him out of context? Every word he spoke was rich in Hebraic significance, and not just Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John. So much of what they said has spiritual significance for us today. So what happened to your Jewish roots? What happened to mine, actually? Now I belong to you as well in the church. Well, for the first 200 years, the church was Jewish-Gentile, Jewish-Roman, largely. But then the Emperor Constantine became a kind of nominal Christian, and his, he and his followers, the Romans, didn't like the Jews a lot, thought them a rebellious lot, and really got rid of them. And in 325 AD, there was a church council at Nicaea. I want you to notice how happy they all look, <laughs> these fine Roman Christians. And they decided at this council that there would no longer be a Friday to Saturday evening Sabbath. They moved it to the pagan day of the sun, Sunday. They detached Easter from the Passover, and it followed the pagan festival of Easter. They completely dispensed with tabernacles altogether, and then you could be excommunicated for even holding a Jewish festival. They wanted to de-Judaize the church completely. So your roots didn't just die, they were deliberately hacked off in the fourth century. We lost all the great festivals. Pentecost vanished altogether. We never really have a good Pentecost celebration, do we? Harvest festival, well, I'm not convinced it really works in a non-rural area because we don't plough the fields and scatter. We nip to Morrison's for those few bits, don't we? I know we're grateful for them. But actually, when I share with you a little bit more about the Feast of Tabernacles, I hope you'll see how much we lost. So there were three major pilgrim festivals in the Jewish tradi tradition. There was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Actually, there are three festivals that are all each, they're called the autumn festivals, all part and parcel of each other, so I'll tell you a little bit about each of them. But what used to happen on these great, what, what was known as the pilgrim festivals, they were the biggies. Everybody went up to Jerusalem for eight days to the temple. 
It was a three-day journey there on foot from the Galilee and three-day journey back again. Work it out. We're talking about two weeks holiday, three times a year. That's six weeks before all the festivals that you celebrated back in the Galilee or wherever you lived. So you think you're well off with your 25 statutory holiday days. That is nothing compared to what the Jewish people had in Old Testament times. You stayed with your relatives or you camped on the hillside if you had no relatives in Jerusalem. It was a gloriously long new wine, but much better because they had an amazing time. There was a carnival atmosphere. There was singing, there was dancing, the new wine would be flowing. The Sanhedrin, the priests, did a juggling act with eight burning torches. Steve will demonstrate after the service. And it, it was just an amazing occasion, and the kids roamed free, and uh, everybody had a great time. And we know that Jesus went, because it's recorded for us that he went regularly up to Jerusalem to the great festivals, starting when he was 12 years old, probably for his bar mitzvah, because that's what they did at the festivals too, because there were celebratory times. And of course, he disappears. And uh, you can see from that slide there, all the people are going up together. So, of course, he disappeared. And the parents thought, oh, he's with his Auntie Gladys and his Uncle Joe. That's all right. Oh, he's with Moshe and Pearl over. He's somewhere anyway. Somebody will be looking after him. And it took them ages to find out he'd gone all together. And that's when they panicked, of course, and found him in the temple debating theology. But you can see, can't you? It was a great extended family occasion. And there were three basic facets of every pilgrim festival, and we're told what they are in the book of Leviticus, which you read every morning because you find it so compelling. I know, it's your favourite book. One, remember the past faithfulness of God to you. And we need that on bad days, don't we? Bad hair days. We need to remember God has been faithful because he will be again. And tell the story of the festival as if you were actually there living through it. And those of you who came to the Passover, Peter and I did, will remember, I always tell the story of how my grandfather used to say, oi, we made bricks. It was terrible in Egypt. And I really thought he had been there. I thought, <laughs> but that's how you're supposed to live it, to feel it. What was it like on those great festivals? Second thing, give thanks for the present for God's current care and provision. And gratitude is a brilliant spiritual discipline. The Jews aim, they have dozens of things they bless God for every time you wash your hands, you brush your teeth, you go to the loo, there are dozens of blessings. They reckon you've got to try and find 100 things a day to bless God for. That's the aim of the object. And that really is a spiritual discipline, I can tell you. Third thing, you look forward to the future with hope because of God's promises, because he will not fail. He's been faithful in the past and he'll be faithful in the future. There were three commandments for a festival. Oh, these are so difficult to follow. One is stop work. Two is enjoy yourself. And three is don't come empty-handed. Bring your food, bring your gifts, <clears throat> bring yourself, bring your joy, bring your dancing. Is that difficult? Are God's commandments hard? Stop work and enjoy yourself. Anybody got a problem here? Good. The festivals were called moedim in Hebrew, and the word means holidays, but it also means rehearsals. They are rehearsing for a future eternal party in heaven. Now, you may say, but I'm not a party animal. 
but I have to tell you, there's no escaping it in the future, so you might as well get into practice now. <laughs> there were three autumn festivals, Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Trumpets, there was the Day of Atonement, which was a day of fasting and preparation, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, which means booths, because they lived in booths. When I used to go to school in September, I used to say, first day back, please, miss, can I be off at the end of the week? It's the new year. Oh, all right, then. And then I'd go back the following week, please, miss, can I be off this week again? It's the Day of Atonement. All right, then. And I'd get back, and please, miss, can I be off again? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And I do remember one girl shouting somewhere, please, miss, can we all become Jews? <laughs> because I was never there. You know, it's the beginning of a new academic year and I missed the lot for all these great festivals. But the first is Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, the New Year. And uh, it's written for us in scripture that on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly with trumpet blasts. Do no work, but present an offering to the Lord by fire. That's in Leviticus. Now, the Jewish calendar New Year marks the anniversary of creation. I haven't a clue what month that, that was. Only God knows that. But it is a time of new beginnings, and that's why it's the new calendar New Year. And, it's, you know, it's great to celebrate a new year in September because it's new classes, isn't it? New schools for some, new teachers, new courses, new beginnings, new adventures. But here we are, stuck with the Roman calendar, so we do it in January instead, where feels a bit funny really but September is the best time I have to say never mind we have the Roman calendar three key themes in Rosh Hashanah the new year the first is the kingship of God the trumpets blast there's a blast on the shofar and that is a spiritual wake-up call wakey wakey just as God arrived on Sinai and it was heralded by trumpet blasts, it was a terrifying sound. So the blast on the shofar rouses the congregation and reminds them they stand in the presence of the living God. And he is sovereign over all the creation he has so wonderfully made. This is his world that we enjoy Second thing is he opens the book of life, which contains a record of all our deeds. It's like your end of term spiritual report. And that must give cause for reflection. What failures in this past year? What omissions? What do I need to do before the day of atonement? What sins need forgiving? What relationships need mending? It's incredibly practical. What do I do? to put right what I have done wrong this year. What practical steps? And finally, it's a promise that one day all things will be made new. One day the creation we have messed up will be renewed. It will be gloriously restored forever. Now, does this ring any bells with you? Listen to Paul in Thessalonians. There will be one final spine-tingling blast on the shofar. Christ will appear, the dead will rise, and all creation will be redeemed. It will be a new world order. There is no doubt Paul was harking back to this particular feast. And then a week later, you move into the Day of Atonement. 
On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. You will be then clean from all your sins, it says in the book of Leviticus. In temple times, there were two goats. One was called the scapegoat, and it was taken out into the wilderness and driven backwards over a cliff. The second one was sacrificed in the temple and the blood was sprinkled on the altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant and the high priest would make intercessions for all the people that they might be delivered from their sins. Yom Kippur means the day of covering. Kippur is covering. All wrongdoing is now officially covered. After the temple was destroyed, of course, there were no more animal sacrifices. And the day became a day of penitence. Sacrifices were replaced by a 26-hour fast. No food, no drink, no washing, no smoking, no driving, no makeup, no wearing leather, no sex. It's a great long list of things. Now, fasting's a good spiritual discipline, and I don't think we do it often enough. However, I bet you're still glad that Christ has fulfilled that. It is over now because he died once and for all to cover our sins. For everyone, at all time, everywhere. He is the scapegoat, the eternal scapegoat, carrying our sins. And thank God for that. So once our sins are covered, we, the book of life is sealed and we are free to move forward into joy and feasting and the Feast of Tabernacles, which is known throughout scripture as the season of our joy, and it's known as that today. Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your undertakings, and you will celebrate. Not if you feel like it, not if you're having a good time. It's not an optional extra. Whatever your problems, you will celebrate. Why? It's not that your problems don't matter. It's just that they seem so much smaller when you set them aside for a while and you focus on the goodness of God and you rejoice in his goodness knowing that you will again. You know, whatever you're going through at the moment, this too will pass and you will again experience the goodness of God. Actually, the American Feast of Thanksgiving was based on the Feast of Tabernacles and certainly our harvest festival. Though, as you're about to see, it's not quite as much fun, I have to say. There are six symbols in tabernacles that are of vital importance. The first one is obviously the Sukkot, the booths. Everybody builds a booth outdoors and lives in it. The kids love it. I remember as a child saying to me, Dad, can't we have one? And my dad, who had never done a, a day's DIY, in his life, used to mutter something in a corner somewhere and, and, and disappear on the first day. So you build a booth to remind you that you were in the wilderness and God provided shelter. You lived there under his direct care and provision. There was no glamping. The booth is shaky. It's a reminder of how ephemeral and precarious our lives are. I mean, we live in France in an expat community, which is obviously an older community, and several of our friends are now having chemo. 
and you realise life is incredibly, incredibly precarious. And the god of our age, in fact, is avarice, isn't it? It's money. I hate the way when you look at the news, almost everything boils down to who is going to benefit financially. It's awful, isn't it? And the thing about money is you can't take it with you. After Rockefeller died, the journalists were all standing outside when the lawyers came out and they shouted, how much did he leave? And the lawyers shouted back, everything. <laughs> According to the festivals, actually, we do leave one thing. We leave our deeds behind. And our deeds will decide how we are remembered by our children, our grandchildren, our friends. So our deeds are important. However, our sins are also covered and we need to have a balance there. And from the sukkah, from this booth, you can look up and you can see the stars and the heavens and you know there has to be more than this existence. Paul to the Corinthians, for we know if this earthly tent, this sukkah we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. The sukkah is a symbol of God's overshadowing presence. Now, why do you reckon there are 17 chapters in Exodus dedicated to the building of the temple? You say sometimes when you read it, oh, Lord, give us a break. But it, it was absolutely specific because God's intention was always from the beginning of time to tabernacle with his people, to get as close to us as he could get. John 1, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's how close he got. He broke through into our world. The kingdom of God is here now because Jesus tabernacles with us. I think Jesus was born at tabernacles. Now, you can work it out, actually, from the rota, Zechariah in the temple and the rota that he followed, that it was at tabernacles. However, for those of you who are upset because you love Christmas, just count nine months back. That's December. That's when Jesus was conceived. And there was nothing miraculous about the birth. It was completely normal, but the conception was miraculous. So go ahead and enjoy Christmas, because I do. <laughs> so you can have two festivals. It's wonderful. Second symbol is the shofar. We've already mentioned the shofar. God came down at Sinai to the blast of the trumpet. It's a call to be ready to meet with God, to know his presence. Revelation chapter 11 Verse 15, there's a seventh angel in heaven and he shouts, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. It's the announcement of God's rule. It's the announcement of God's reign. The third symbol are palm branches and palm branches were used to wave as a sign of celebration. And you remember they waved palm branches on the day Oh, on Palm Sunday, did they not? I suspect that was actually at the Feast of Tabernacles and it wasn't the week before Easter. But that's another matter. I'm up for argument on that one. And also, the, uh, you carry what's called, this is the fourth symbol, an etrog. It's a piece of fruit. It's a piece of citrus fruit, always. I meant to bring a lemon this morning. Actually, I couldn't find a lemon. I only had a tangerine. But next time, when you go home today, take hold of a piece of fruit like a tangerine or a lemon or an orange, because in it are the seeds. It in itself is God's provision, but in that are the seeds that are the seeds of the future and God's future 
provision. So it's a symbol, a wonderful symbol of that. The promise that God will go on providing. And then the final two symbols are of vital importance. Now Richard and I didn't confer about the music this morning, but he used both of those symbols, which I think is absolutely amazing. The first one is light. The temple was on a hill and it was gloriously illuminated at Tabernacles. There were four gigantic golden braziers in the women's court. They were 75 foot tall. I mean, imagine it. We've got wind turbines of 150 in almost our garden in France. 75 is still fairly tall in the temple. And there was a large bowl at the top of each of the four branches. And each bowl, can we go back, love? Each bowl had to be filled with 10 gallons of oil. So here's this poor chap. He's got 10 gallons of oil on his back. And he had to climb the ladder right up to the top and fill them with oil. And you also incidentally burnt the priest's underwear. It's one way to get rid of your undies, I suppose. <laughs> I've never been terrified. Peter might one of these days explain why they did that. But these braziers lit up the whole city. There they are. That's where the four, that's the temple. And that's where the four corners, where these immense braziers were. So all the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, for them, there was such light, it lit up all the streets so you could find your way to the worship, the celebration, and the dancing. It's a reminder of the pillar of light by night that led the people through the wilderness. It's a reminder of the Shekinah glory that once filled the temple. In John chapter 8, standing in the women's court, and I suspect this is possibly as the lights went out at the end of the feast, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I think he was saying those great braziers that have lit your way here are going out and they will go out, but our, my light never goes out. I am the light of life. I will be your light. I will be your guidance. I will be your protection. I will be your glory wherever you are. I will always be there for you. And the final symbol, the sixth symbol, is water. Seven days are prescribed, as you heard, for the Feast of Tabernacles in the books of Moses. So why do they celebrate the feast for eight days? Well, every night, the priest went down to the pool of Siloam every night for seven days. He'd fill a golden pitcher with water from the pool of Siloam. He'd go back up to the temple where everyone would be waiting for him. Now, every night, he, as he arrived back, the people, well, no, they didn't. It was the men began to dance. Hey, fellas, not the women, the men began to dance. And they had this amazing celebration. And they danced all night for seven nights. So where did the eight days come from? Well, the Jews think that actually on one occasion, God said to his people, I'm having such a brilliant time with you. I'm loving every minute of it. Will you give me one more day? So they're all lying on the floor there with exhaustion. And they go, oh, well, God, for you, one more time. And they shout to the Levites, take it from the top, boys. So I don't know if you'd be ready for that, Richard. Eight nights. And off they go again, and they're dancing. And that last day is called Simchat Torah, and it's very special. Today is actually Simchat Torah. 
and Jews everywhere will be celebrating with dancing. So it's a real privilege to be able to share that with you today. And incidentally, my father died on Simchat Torah, so, which is supposed to be a special blessing. And um, he was a lovely, lovely man. And, and so we remember, I remember him, and I remember his deeds today. So they're still celebrating the next morning for the Feast of Simchat Torah. And I want you to imagine the scene. There are children, this is the temple. There are children on their parents' shoulders. They're waving branches. They're throwing lemons at each other. The Levites are playing. They're playing lyres and cymbals and harps and they're blowing trumpets. It's a racket. It's a noise. And the priest brings the pitcher of water through the tunnel out into the temple courts. Here he goes. That, that, there he is. This is, his, this is his root. And he pours water on the altar. And he's crying to God to send the latter rains. You desperately need rain in a dry country. Rain to water the land. But he's also crying for the Messiah to come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the water pours from the altar. And it goes down through the temple drainage system. It goes down the hill, because the temple's on a hill, into the Kidron Valley in the desert. And it goes on and on until it reaches the Dead Sea. And John tells us that it's at this moment, on the last and great day of the feast, that Jesus stands up and proclaims in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. For if anyone drinks from me, out of their mouths shall flow rivers of living water. It's an exact fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47, where water pours out through the temple from the altar into the desert. That's the vision Ezekiel has. He sees this water going on into the Dead Sea, and wherever it enters the Dead Sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Everything will live where the stream goes, says Ezekiel. What flows from us, the Holy Spirit who flows in us and through us, makes the Dead Sea fresh and pure? Is the Dead Sea our world? I think it is. And Jesus is basically saying, now by the power of the Spirit, I give you the power to make the Dead Sea live. Finally, Passover is fulfilled in Easter, in the Easter story. Pentecost is fulfilled. We have received the Holy Spirit. Tabernacles is only half fulfilled. Jesus tabernacles with us, but we wait for him to come and tabernacle with us forever as Lord and ruler and king. Zechariah 14 says that when he comes, all the nations will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and the season of our joy will last forever. Meanwhile, we wait. And while we wait, rivers of living water pour from us into this confused and difficult world in which we live, this beautiful world too. And we are called to make the Dead Sea live. If you're able, would you stand and we're going to pray?
long time. Should have practiced. <laughs> We recognize your presence with us, King of all creation, our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Master, our King. We wait on you because we want to do your will and be the river that goes out into our world. We want to live for you and follow the light that you give us to lead us. and to be a force to change our world and change society until every knee bows before your presence. Thank you for this wonderful time of joy, Lord. And we celebrate you this morning. We love you, we worship you, and we want to be available to you now and in the days to come. Amen. On your behalf, I want to say thank you so much to Michelle for what she has brought us. Sit down for a moment. I shall ask you to stand again in a moment for the creed. But I just want to, I just want to say thank you so much. You have, you have taken us on an amazing journey this morning, Michelle. Um, a journey that started out... Um, with the Israelites in the desert being taught by God. You have taken us through Jewish history. You have brought that to life in the context of the New Testament to help us to understand more clearly some of the writings and some of the utterances of Jesus in the New Testament. And you have brought it right up to date for us now because I hope you can see a continuity in the worship of God from then to now and from now onward until we meet with the Lord in glory. What an amazing journey and thank you so much for bringing it to life for us this morning. Thank you.